imagine you and you know your best friends in the whole world having a big house on the beach in a small fishing village in a country that's foreign and exciting with not many expats at the time um, having a boat discovering waves surfing all day every day with your friends having cool guests come down <laughs> Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Mikko Koshovsky, and welcome to episode 28 of That Remote Show, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Chapin Kruder, the host of the Misfits and Rejects podcast and the founder of Surf Progression Techniques, an online school dedicated to helping motivated surfers advance their surfing through online coaching. Chapin has a very unique journey that has taken him from his home in Southern California to playing soccer in Europe and running in-person surf camps in Nicaragua. And during this interview, Chapin opened up about the struggles he has experienced in becoming location independent that so many other people also face but rarely talk about publicly. He also talked about his big wins, like how he was able to grow his email list from zero to 7,000 with just one Facebook ad campaign. All right, you guys. I had a ton of fun with this one, and Chapin is a guy full of hundreds of stories, and I think you enjoy this interview just as much as I did. So let's jump into it with Chapin Kruder. All right, Chapin, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, dude. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm really excited to have you on because uh, you have a really interesting story, and uh, we just met through the fact that we both have podcasts. Uh, And so to to start us off, man, like, what made you want to start your podcast misfits and rejects and why is it called misfits and rejects um, misfits and rejects was a conversation I used to have a lot with my business partner in Nicaragua um, it had been on my mind without the title misfits and rejects um, for many years just traveling around the world and meeting so many insp- inspirational interesting people um, I find a lot of beauty in people doing very extreme alternative lifestyles And it's always kind of motivated me to continue on trying to design my own life in the way that I want. And so then once I bunkered down in Nicaragua, starting a surf camp with a friend of mine, we were in a small, small, small fishing village, like 500 local people. We were the the only gringos living there. But there was an old um, expat who had shipwrecked there in like 94. And he was more established at that point in time when we arrived in 2005. Um super eccentric interesting dude um did not give a fuck about anybody really um he was on his own trip and it took a long time for me to and him to warm up to each other but once we did like just i could see so much beauty in him and just who he was and then so he was kind of like the first kind of misfit if you will i'm like dude look at dale dagger like he's such a misfit like he just doesn't fit in anywhere, not even in America. And so that term started getting thrown around a lot, thrown around a lot. And then rejects started coming in as like, there's people also who have either rejected society and chosen to design their own path or who have been rejected by society for whatever reason. And sometimes it's because of their political point of view and not necessarily a negative one like they they did something terrible, committed a crime, or, you know, they're avoiding taxes. Um, 
so that's where the terms came up. And then it was always one of those things where I was going to like, I was going to write a book about all these characters or I was going to write a screenplay. And ultimately like I can't write, I can't really read and I'm not that talented in any of those aspects. So I, um, just put on the back burner for years and it was just something misfits and rejects, misfits and rejects. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? And then it wasn't until I started my, um, online surf coaching business and I had the recording equipment. I'd been at it for like about one year that I'd been listening to Pat Flynn and I was like, well, he has a podcast like misfits and rejects could be a podcast. I'm going to Chile. I might as well have one of my best friends be episode one and just put the microphone in front of him and call it misfits and rejects. And Mis misfits and rejects was born in, um, 2016 yeah and you have like what like 150 episodes now yeah officially i mean like you probably i have a lot backlog so i'm up in the, the 160s now you know but yeah i've got a lot i'm proud of i mean i did just to break 100 was a huge accomplishment because as you know this is a, a lot of work dude i don't know how long it takes you how many episodes do you do a week uh i publish one a week yeah i do too how long does it take you to just do one from like start to finish like everything all included like recording is an hour. Usually editing takes me about two if I'm lucky. And then I do a lot of like work on like when I do publish it onto the site. So about another, an, another hour on that. So that's what, like five, five hours an episode. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that's in like, I'm like probably like between five and seven now hours mm -hmm. because I've gotten better at it. Like in the beginning, it was easily 10 hours easily 10 yeah. hours a week you know but with mine I'm I'm on the road a lot and sometimes I have to venture quite a ways to get some of these episodes so even the other day I, I went to LA to interview a dude like that was a three-hour round-trip drive which I include and in, you know in, in my time frame of trying to capture these these interviews and so yeah Misfits and Rejects was born out of just the inspiration of the people I meet on the road and then the technology in which I had at my disposal that I figured it was better and easier just to put the microphone in front of these characters that I thought had a story to share and could inspire a lot of other people. Yeah, you mentioned just kind of in passing your surf business because that's your kind of, I mean, Misfits and Rejects is a thing that you've been doing for quite a while and, and doing really well at, but from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, your surf business is kind of the thing that's funding your life. Can you talk a little bit about that and like when did surfing enter your life? Surfing became a passion of mine when I was like eight or nine. Um, it was for because you no grew up in reason. California, so it was Correct, always there, yeah. right? Yeah. Southern California. It was something I was surrounded by. Ish. I didn't have anybody I knew surfed, but my neighbor had a surfboard in his rafters, and I saw it one day and was intrigued by it. Um, and I knew what surfing was. I'd seen it before and asked my dad if he would take me, who was not a surfer. And he was kind enough to take me and I became interested in take, he would take me every weekend and it grew from there. And then I made friends and my parents separated, divorced and he moved to, my dad moved to the beach. So I lived with him. And so that's when, like I was like 11 or 12 when I really became a surfer, I would say. And like I surfed every day, three times a day and that never left until late high school when I got kind of burnt out on the scene, but we can get to that in a little bit. And, um, then Fast forward quite a few years, I had an opportunity to move to Nicaragua and start a surf camp with some friends and took that opportunity and my surfing really blossomed down there because I was surfing so much. I reached a level of surfing that I never would have imagined I could have gotten to. Um, that 10,000 hours is, is very real. And once you kind of cross that threshold, all of a sudden you realize like, oh wait, like I can actually do this. And 
it became something that I was looking back on my progression, realizing that the struggles that I was seeing a lot of my clients have was something I could help with. Um, and at the same time I was getting pretty burnt out on doing in-person coaching. So I decided to try to transition to online coaching, which became a YouTube channel to start where I was just giving free videos of what I thought people needed help with. And then I came up with the idea that I don't think was original, but I thought of it for myself in an original way, which was like, Hey, why don't people just send me their footage and I'll analyze it and create little like instructional videos for them. Kind of like, you know, people do with the golf swing or mm -hmm. something like that. And from there through just listening to Pat Flynn's podcast that I realized, well, why don't I create a course because everybody more or less had the same sort of trouble or the same question. They were always asking me like, how do I, perfect my pop-up like how do I get better with my pop-up or it's like how do I learn to turn like I want to learn how to turn on a surfboard and so I created a surf course called perfect your pop-up and learn to turn and then yeah last year which was a huge milestone for me I was I averaged you know 500 bucks a month in passive income so that was a huge breakthrough yeah that's huge so I want to take you back a little bit to, you know, you said that you kind of got burnt out on the surfing scene. Why did that happen? Like what happened there? I think surf culture has always had a pretty big stigma behind it, you know, with burnouts and, you know, partiers and just degenerates or whatever you want to call them, misfits and rejects, if you will, that just kind of separate themselves from society and just do what they want when they want and don't give a fuck. And I love that. I love that about that, but it can also separate you from a lot of beautiful aspects of the world and other communities that you want to be a part of. And the generation that I grew up in and the place that I grew up in Newport beach, like, you know, there's people that surrounded me that, you know, was, you were constantly getting criticized for wanting to do this or that. That was different from what we all kind of adopted as our tribe, as our lifestyle as surfers. Obviously, the party thing became a big thing as well, which was, you know, you'd surf all day and drink all night kind of thing. And I just kind of burned myself out. I just didn't. I wanted to explore the world. I wanted to do different things. And I didn't necessarily want to put all my eggs in one basket. And so, thank God, my dad... uh I took my sister and I on a trip to Europe, mm. which just removed me from everything when I was 17 years old. And I had three weeks to kind of just, I guess, sober up and just really see the world and all its beauty that it had to offer. And I really wanted to be a part of that. And I didn't know how I was going to get back to Europe to, to partake. And I was talented enough as an athlete that I had played soccer my whole life off and on never took it seriously, but I figured that I could probably work really, really hard for the next like five years or have, however long it took. That's how committed I was to it that I could, um, make it as a professional athlete in Europe. So I basically quit. I came back from Europe. I quit surfing pretty much altogether. I didn't do it for like five years and I just threw everything I had into becoming a professional athlete, a soccer player. And so you went over to Europe to try to become a soccer player, right? Eventually, I mean, the the path that took me to Europe was long, hard, and took a lot of twists and turns. I mean, 
I was a senior in high school with no prospects of going to a top or D1 university as a soccer player. Like no one knew who I was. I mean, I was a nobody, mm-hmm. like not even a blip on the radar. I was on JV, you know, like, and so I just threw myself into it and I went to junior college and, or I played my last year of club that I was eligible for because I was 19, went to junior college, played one year at junior college. Um, was my goal was to make it to UCLA and play for UCLA. Um, but I was going to be a walk on. So I didn't get into UCLA until the winter quarter. And so I had one quarter to kill. So I had gotten into UC Santa Cruz. So I went to UC Santa Cruz, which was D3. I played there for one season, transferred to UCLA, walked on to UCLA, made the team. And then two years later, we won a national championship. And I didn't play that much. In fact, I barely played at all. But I mean, you know, to be on that team and see the level, the level that everyone was playing at and know that I wasn't anywhere near it and had to keep working hard is what kept me motivated and believing that, you know, if I could play with these guys, I could play with anybody. And then, so once we, uh, rat, once I finished university, I I flew to Belgium, stayed with a friend who was playing professionally that I played with at UCLA. And he let me stay on his couch for a month while I tried out for all these teams and ultimately didn't make it in the end, but it was a good run. So did that experience, is that what made you want to pursue location independence or was it the, like, what I'm trying to understand is like, how do the, does the surfing and sort of like running an online business connect, right? So did you want to be location independent and the thing that you knew best was surfing or did you love surfing so much that you, you know, once you kind of like got back into it, you wanted your business to be all about surfing? Correct. Yeah, it's a great question and something I've asked myself a lot. What basically it is, is from 2000, well, yeah. So I traveled the world with my best friend for a year, came back, moved to Nicaragua. And so from 2005 to 2010, my life was the best it's ever been, like on all fronts. And I was very well aware of it. Didn't take it for granted one second. How come? Like what was so amazing about it? Imagine you and, you know, your best friends in the whole world having a big house on the beach in a small fishing village in a country that's foreign and exciting with not many expats at the time. Um, Having a boat, discovering waves, surfing all day, every day with your friends, having cool guests come down, um, being completely free to do and be who you wanted all day, every day, no judgment passed. Like it was wild. It was fun. Like it was like straight out of like the jungle book, you know, like, um, or the beach. And how old were you then? I was 25. Oh yeah. So So, good age for that. Yeah. So, I mean, the lifestyle bit me hard and as time progressed and as I alluded to earlier, like I kind of got burnt out on coaching down there and, and doing the whole surf tourism thing. And so it's, it's always been, even to this very day, the second we talk, I'm trying to get back to that lifestyle without having to commit to one location. Mm. Like I'm, I'm, I'm actually genuinely searching for that connection with a place and people that I felt for that period of time in Nicaragua that for me, I know in my heart is not in Nicaragua anymore. And I need the location independence with my business to find it. How come it's not Nicaragua anymore? Um, I mean, it could be in the future, but I think it's been a hard transition. My thirties, I'm almost 40 this year, I'll be 40. And, uh, the last 10 years, the first, so 30 to 35, I was trying to recreate it in Nicaragua 
I was trying to recreate that first five years because my partners left at two, in 2010. They were burnt out. They wanted to go back, start a family. And I, I stayed because I loved it. And the scene changed and I wasn't changing. I was holding on to the past. And so when 30 to 35, I was just re trying to recreate something that was gone, mm -hmm. never coming back. And so when I found this idea that I could be location dependent and a digital nomad through like Pat Flynn and the digital nomad communities around the world, I started re like shaping my image of what my future was, which was, I think being like you is, I mean, I admire you. Like I want to be that person where I have that financial freedom or not financial freedom, but that financial cash flow to like get an Airbnb in 99.9% .9 of any, any city I want. I want to stay for as long as I want. I want to buy a plane ticket whenever I want. I'm happy to put in the hours on a daily. Like it's not about just making passive income, even though that's part of my business model. Um, but I want to have that independence. And for me, I mean, it really, you said something, that's what I want to circle back to in our episode that we just did, which was, you know, you, a lot of people who like myself, when I started this, I only had an aspiration to make 500 bucks a month online. And I was like, oh, you can live off 400 bucks because your, your girlfriend was making 400 bucks. And you're like, yeah, but you, you basically become a prisoner of the place that you're in. Like you can't fly home. And I was just like, that struck me because you're right. Like I was in Nicaragua, broke. I was starting to start at a bakery. I was trying to just do anything I could to make money. And I was selling raw doughs to all the surf camps around me. And uh, I was a prisoner, dude. Like, yeah, I had the life. I loved my life. I'd walk to the, the, I'd walk to surf every day, surf all day, drink all night with my friends. And, but my mom, I was getting calls from my sister. Like mom wasn't doing well, mm. you know, like. Nobody knew it was wrong because mom kind of kept it to herself. But like, it's just like that intuition's like, you need to go home, dude. But I didn't have any money to get home. Like I was, I couldn't go anywhere. I was a prisoner within this small fishing village. Like it was even expensive for me to take the 75 cent bus to get into Rivas to get my like groceries, you know? And I had to call my dad. I was like, dude, I'm broke. Like this isn't working. Can I borrow like two grand to get home? And that's when... I sat in Cali for nine months before my mom passed and like had to reevaluate like my trajectory and how this was going to be more of a sustainable sort of lifestyle. Yeah. So did that experience sort of make you realize that you needed to get to another level in order to like truly be free to then like find your place again? 100%. 100%. I needed to find a way to grow as a businessman, as an entrepreneur, as just a human being, um, take better responsibility for my finances. Um, not that I was ever like spending money ridiculously. Like I've always been a fairly, I think, cheap person in some ways. And, but yeah, I just had to reevaluate everything. Like the lifestyle I had designed for myself just wasn't functioning in the way I needed it to, to be able to come home and be a part of the family when I was needed most. Mm. And so, yeah, it was a huge motivation to like put in the time. Like I can say with confidence and a little bit of like pride that the last five years, like I've put in my time, dude, not that I deserve something right now for the time I put in, but like you have to imagine the first five years in Nicaragua, there wasn't internet in my village. Like you had to go an hour to get to the nearest like internet cafe, which used to exist, you know? Right. Um, 
And so I would go once every two months just to do emails. So like Facebook, Instagram, these are things that I didn't know about. I heard about, but I wasn't part of. So trying to then come back and understand, one, how it just functioned. I didn't have any of those instincts. Two, the reason why people were on these social media sites, like the motivation to sit there and post some arbitrary point throughout your day that someone else is going to be interested in seeing made absolutely no sense to me. And that's been the hardest learning curve. And I put in my time, dude, like pounding around this keyboard seven days a week. I mean, for the, when I first started, it was, I could only last one to two hours because I'd get the gnarliest headache from staring at the computer screen. Mm. You know, I was outside all day, every day on boats with my friends in nature. And now I'm sitting in not a dark room, but I'm sitting in my kitchen right now, like staring at my computer screen for at first one to two hours, then two to four, then four to six. Now, you know, six to eight. It's been a long, long road, dude. So after you made that decision, I know that you kind of like uh, briefly, you know, talked about kind of like your path, but what was your first step once you decided like, this isn't working anymore for me. I need to have the sort of freedom. I need to like level up, like you said. Like, what was your first step after that? Because I think a lot of people are in that place in life where they're maybe thinking like, this isn't, like what I'm doing right now isn't what I thought it was going to be and I need that next step. So what was your next step? So I had to get very real with myself and my skill sets, my aptitudes, the speed in which I learn. Um, what was I going to be able to accomplish? What was I going to be able to stick with for the period in time in which I, I needed to accomplish or anyone needs to accomplish an online endeavor, entrepreneurial endeavor. And Pat Flynn was saying like, you got to first see if your niche is even out there. If people are even searching for what you're thinking about offering. All I knew was serving. Yeah, I knew soccer, but I didn't want to, I felt like I could help more people with my surfing expertise, if you will. And so Nobody in 2015 was searching for surf coaches online, you know, mm -hmm. that didn't exist. And so I'm like, I can't, or this is 2014 when I came up with the idea. And I was like, well, that sucks. Like, I guess I can't do that. So I spent, so this is like July, August, like September. I, would, I decided I was going to move to Thailand with my girlfriend. She was a Kung Fu instructor up in Pai. And I was like, I'll just go live in Pai. And I will just sit in this little house that we rented and just try to figure it out. And I was at a bar one night and this Israeli dude and I were chatting tall and he's like a, he's like a surfer, aspiring surfer. And I'm telling him what I do in Nicaragua. And he's like, dude, you should just create a surf course online. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, go to Udemy, check it out. I don't know if it exists, but like Udemy has all these courses, like you should probably just create a surf course. It sounds like exactly what you're trying to generate passive income with, like it'd be perfect for you. So the next day I went on Udemy and there's this one dude, this Aussie dude who had created a surf course on Udemy, only one guy. And I did a little bit of napkin math and I figured, I guesstimated, he'd probably made already like $25,000 in course sales. And I was just blew my mind, dude. I was like, that's, there's no way this guy is doing like as the videos I'd seen like seemed decent enough, like, but I felt like I could do better. And so that's when I sat down, I'm like, okay, I'm going to give this a go. Like, even if, you know, Pat Flynn says it's not a good idea, which he didn't, but I just kind of assumed he would, I got to give it a go. Cause I knew it was the only thing that would hold my attention long enough to suffer through the amount of time it was going to take me to learn 
even how to put a video on YouTube, you know, how to create a video, like all the different things that I needed to do to create these digital services and digital experiences were going to take me a long time to learn. And the motivation to help other surfers was the only thing that was going to keep me motivated long enough to do it. So that those were my first steps. What year was this? So I, I put my first video on YouTube in February, 2015. So when you were in Pi and you, you know, you talked to the Israeli guy and you found all this out, did you then know that, you know, like Chiang Mai and like what Chiang Mai is known for in terms of like the digital nomad community? Like, did you think to like go and like reach out to the people that were there? I didn't. I had no idea that was even a thing. I didn't really know the term digital nomad at this point. Um, you have to understand like, and this is something I try to convey to people. And I don't think your generation really understands it. Like to Google something was never the first thought that came into my head mm. when I thought of ways to like solve problems. You know, I would, I would sit there and contemplate for hours. Like, how am I going to figure this out? You know? Yeah, like, yeah. And then I'd realize like, Oh, maybe I should try Googling, <laughs> you know? And then it would be like, I'd ask Google one question and I didn't have any other questions to ask. And if it wasn't answered, I would close the laptop and just be like, well, fuck, I guess I don't know how to figure this out, you know? And that's kind of how these years have been spent, like really trying to change the way I think about the world that like Google and YouTube are my guru. They're my God. And every second that I have a thought or question, I don't ask a human being anymore. It's like, I'm asking this machine and it's uh what was the question i kind of like lost my train of thought <laughs> like for me it was interesting because the fact that you had this israeli guy in pi and for and for people who don't know pi is what like an hour away from chiang mai up in the mountains it's like two or three yeah okay two or three so like the thing was like i was thinking like of course you met this israeli guy who suggested you to me because chiang mai is right there which is filled with these people who are like entrepreneurial and trying to build the sort of businesses that it sounded like you wanted to build and so i was curious if you kind of like oh i'm gonna pop down there and meet up with people there and kind of like you know see what they're doing kind of learn from them so just interesting right yeah that the networking thing wasn't even a uh, on my mind, on my radar. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I sat in Pi for another like four months. I created like five more YouTube videos. I forget how many. And um, then I decided that because of smoky season, I decided it was time to go surf. I was burnt out on computer work. And so my girlfriend and I moved to Indo, jumped on a scooter, went to the farthest island we could and just surfed for a few months. And I, I didn't really continue on. I was just like, I had my YouTube videos out there. I was kind of proud of. And then it wasn't until... Um, decided like I went completely broke and I moved back to California for a small short period of time and moved back to Nicaragua. I was still going to be like make money online. The term digital nomad hadn't really come across my plate yet. And I was sitting in the small fishing village. My friend at this point had started a hostel, which I was trying to help him with. And this group of uh, traveling digital nomads called the Wi-Fi tribe came through and they came on the the booze cruise that we were we were hosting them on, and I was sitting there talking and telling this one guy what I wanted to do. I was like, I want to be like a location independent traveler, like make money online. He's like, Oh yeah, that's what we all do. I was like, <laughs> Bullshit. He's like, Oh yeah, we all we all just staying over here in Aqua in this giant house, like we're all just clicking away on the keyboards, making tons of money. I was like, Dude, show me, show me, please, what you're doing. Like I'm dying to learn this. Like at this point, I had a few. YouTube videos. I think I had the idea to create an online course at this point, but again, people who actually were doing it never met anybody. 
making money. And so this guy was doing uh, drop shipping. And he had an algorithm that he was selling to people, which is how he made most of his money. But he was doing like 20K a month. 15 of it was coming through this like uh, software that he was selling people on how to find out what's the best drop shipping products to ship. Um, 5,000 was coming from his actual drop shipping shop or whatever site. And my mind was just blowing. And then I spent the next few years trying to coordinate with them to like join one of their trips. Um, and then it, I was so, I was still kind of keeping one foot in the, the surf tourism business in Nicaragua. And I was so, I had met a few people selling some snake oil on like how to become digital nomads. If I just paid them, you know, mm -hmm. they'll, they'll teach me how to be a digital nomad. And then, so I was so sick of it that I just Googled like digital nomads that make a hundred thousand dollars a year or more. And this guy pops up and he was hosting these things called entrepreneur houses and his name was Chris Reynolds. And okay. so I, at this point I had my podcast and I, I was like, reached out to him. You want to come on my podcast? He's like, sure. And he was just a genuine human being that I believed was actually making six figures. And all the people on his podcast were making six figures, seven figures. And throughout our conversation, he said that he hosted these things in Thailand and um, it was a place that entrepreneurs kind of got together and had a little incubation session. And I said, I'm coming, dude, I'll fucking be there. It was like nine months away. He's like, all right. And so that was, that was last year, dude. <laughs> I mean, I started this in 2015 and I wasn't until last year that I, 2018, that I went and kind of did my first digital nomad experience with all these digital nomads around the world. So last year when you did this, I'm really curious about like what you learned there, but when you did this, you had already started the course, right? Like, correct. Yeah. The course was more or less, I had January of last year, 2018 had completed my course and launched it. I had purchased how to create awesome online courses from David Seipman Garland, big, big plug for him, <laughs> um, which was great. You know, it was harder than I thought it took me two and a half years to build that course because again, the technology was so complicated to me. Mm -hmm. Um, just how to use Keynote, how to use ScreenFlow. That was like learning Japanese. And uh, so it took me two and a half years to build the course, finally built it, put it out there, um, made my money back, you know, on the launch from what I paid him. I paid him like 1200 bucks to get his course. I made like 1600 on launch. How? Who bought it? Who were the first people who bought it? <clears throat> people from my email list. How did you use the strategies? How did you build up your email list? Uh, through Facebook ads and just offering free, uh, amazing instructional content. Um, and in fact, like it works so well, like I've accumulated from one, um, gift, like 7,000 emails. What do you mean one gift? Like I, so a video gift, how to perfect your pop-up. Mm. I just, I put a Facebook ad, how to perfect, like learn to turn, like I, it was basically entitled perfect your pop-up, the three key techniques Kelly Slater uses to perfect his pop-up. And I screenshotted some, uh, clips of Kelly Slater popping up. And then threw it on my website, you know, with a lock and key behind it, gave, had people give me their emails and it like was wildfire, dude. Like people, I guess were really hungry for it and accumulated like 7,000 emails real quick. And so I just, I sold my course to my email list and only three people bought. So this is really interesting to me because you talk about how you're not good with technology or like you're, you're starting to like learn, but it's not something that comes naturally to you. Yeah. Where did you learn to do Facebook ads? And because I remember the first time that I put money into Facebook ads and I was like, oh man, this money's going to get burnt. Like I'm never going to see it again. Like, you know, I had like no 
like confidence in it. So like, what was that experience like for you? Like, where did you learn it first of all? And then I'm, I'm doing the thing that podcasters aren't supposed to do, which is to ask two questions, but where did you learn how to do it? And what was it like when you, you know, first started out? Um, I learned how to do it again through David Seipen Garland. He brought all his students on who were successful at it and shared their tricks and tips. And he had like 10 students on there sharing their strategies. One guy's strategy resonated with me the most because it was the simplest. And so I just, since I had the YouTube videos, I, I could, you know, see the numbers in which what we're getting the most views and the pop-up video was getting the most, like by far, it was like a hundred thousand views versus like 15,000 views. So I knew mm -hmm. that had traction. So I took literally the exact same video. I reworked it, used a new, new professional surfer. I Googled like who's the most search professional surfer and it was Kelly Slater. And then, um, just use the steps that his uh, student had provided in the course and I hit go and I woke up, I did it at night, say like 11 o'clock, hit go on the ad, woke up the next morning and I had a hundred emails. And then the next day I had another hundred and the next day I had another hundred. I was getting a hundred new emails a day from this one ad at the go. Yeah. <laughs> Click one dude, like hit go, here we go. So it wasn't like any fear. I was paying eight cents a conversion to get an email. And I didn't know this was good. This is actually a funny aspect of it. I didn't know this was good. I mean, hundreds, hundreds of emails a day were cool. I didn't really know if that was cool or not because it's my first time that I didn't know. And so I had set a time limit on this thing because I didn't have really the money to be paying for this. So I had a five bucks a day and I'd set two weeks and I figured I'd spend whatever that is, 70 bucks and just see how it goes. And so I'm like, okay, yeah, at this point I have like, you know, like over a thousand emails. That's pretty good. And then it just died. <laughs> And then I was like, all right, was it? And I went on this little forum through the uh, online, great online courses. And I'm like, hey guys, like, I think I did pretty well. I just turned off my ad. What do you guys think about it? Everyone just blew me up, like, turn it back on, dude. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you doing? <laughs> and so I was like, fuck, I turned it back on. It took the algorithm a second to like get back to the 100 emails a day. But then it just ran for months, getting 100 new emails a day. Yeah, because. And so it's. For people who maybe like don't, like, eight cents. Did you say eight cents a click or eight cents per like conversion? Conversion for an e for an email, I was paying eight cents. That is like nineteen nineties Google costs. I think like that's wild <laughs> that you were like like converting that well. And so, okay, so essentially you had this Facebook ad that was working amazingly well, and then I'm assuming you had some sort of funnel build out behind that add that no, no dude nothing no i had nothing bro so that you, came years later so you I were didn't just, know about funnels so you were just collecting, just collecting the emails, emails dude and then you would yeah. send them emails that were just like one at a time nope. emails <laughs> not even that dude i just collected emails i collected a fuck ton of emails and then it finally um i finished my course and then i pitched my course to my email list you know like and it was at this point I don't know if it was through a funnel. I think at, maybe at this point I had kind of gotten comfortable with ConvertKit. Mm -hmm. and so maybe I created a funnel. I don't remember if I sent individual emails at, out. But yeah, it was still super raw. Just kind of like I had an email list that was giant in my, by my standards. Um, I figured I would, and I used David's strategy of you know creating three kind of like lead up videos like that were just packed full of the best information. And then on the, you know, the fourth email you start pitching, you spend a week pitching them. And then you close the cart and that was my strategy. And then, so I did that. That was whatever, like a week long. 
or two weeks and uh yeah three people bought at the price point of uh 600 bucks so that was cool and i mean one thing i do and or did and still do is like if people buy like they have me dude like i am so in their shit and like overly supportive and will break my back to help them get better which isn't in sort of my like description of what they're going to get with the course. I mean, I really want to get people who want to get better. And my price point at this point, I've dropped it down to um, 297 because mm-hmm. trying to convert at the $600 price point was really hard. Um, but yeah, like I break myself. I'll bleed for these people, dude. Anybody who's down to get better at surfing. Like at this point I have like, I've had 30 people go through the course and um, do their, 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 my family, their life, mm-hmm. like for life, you know? So when you went to this, you know, you talked about going on this like retreat is what I'm going to call it. What did you learn there? So it was, we all sat in a like hotel lobby room or one of those rooms for people to have conferences, conferences in. And it was everyone kind of doing their own thing with a morning meetup and a, and an evening meetup just to say what you accomplished. And there was one guy in there who was younger than me. He was like 28 and he was doing like 350k a year in um crossfit videos like online and so i was like dude please look at my shit like look at everything i'm doing and tell me what i need to do better and so he was super kind and he looked um the content was whatever he's like i don't know anything about surfing so i can't say anything about that he gave me a few suggestions on like flow of my stuff but he looked at my funnel and he's like okay you have these this many emails He's like, email, say six. He's like, you need to reword it. Like, you got to be starting to sell super hard here, like in this way. He's like, you give a 30-day money-back guarantee. Like, you need to say that like in three different paragraphs. Remind them, like, why haven't you purchased this yet? Like, you get a 30-day money-back guarantee. Like, this is the best opportunity you're ever going to get to progress your surfing. Like, why haven't you taken it? And then it just got stronger. And the wording got stronger and stronger to like my final subject on the email was like why haven't you purchased yet question mark you know like it was that strong and that was a game changer i made 2500 bucks in 10 days wow so how much did that i think it's really interesting because how much did that retreat cost that you went on 500 bucks 500 bucks so i mean you 10 days 500 bucks just to be in a room with all these people yeah that's i mean that's to get your that's cheap compared to I don't know I was like I was I emailed the guy and I was like so what room am I staying in I was already in Thailand he's like what do you mean (laughs) I was like well I paid for like a shared room right and I was operating from my business model in Nicaragua when I'd run my surf retreats that like you know people would pay all-inclusive food everything like 13 1400 bucks Mm -hmm. so I assumed that I just purchased a share room you know like no food like nothing like that and he's like no, dude, you just purchased a, a spot at the table with everybody, you know? I was like, really? Okay. Which I, is fine. Like, I think that those things, and, and this, is, I think it's kind of like weird for people who aren't like in this world, but those things are so, like every time I've done something like that, it's so valuable because all it takes is that one person, like that one person that you found that sat down and like looked at one thing to then you making 2,500 bucks and you've paid it off. Like the way that I think of it is, and it's kind of like, I think that it sometimes doesn't really sound right or I don't know, but I think of it as like filters, right? And the higher the price point, the people who are paying are usually crossing through filters. So like you have this point where like, this is why free doesn't work, 
right is like free nobody's like buying it like nobody has any like stake in the game but like when you kind of like cross those filters and you need to like like pay more money to meet other people like those people there are like legit like they're crushing it you know and there's like a reason why so that's why i was really interested like what you learned and what you got out of it and i was gonna ask like do you feel like you got your money's you know, you're, you you know, do you feel like you made your money back based on like the value? And it sounds like you did. Like, is that, would you say so? Yeah, 100% without a doubt. The network of people that I've um, engaged with over the last year has just helped tremendously, exponentially. Unfortunately, like, so after that 10 days and I was, I was making money, I was averaging between like 800 to 1500 bucks a month and it was generating, I was I was basically, if I was capturing a thousand new emails a month through my Facebook ads, then I could convert at like half a percent or 0.3%, which would give me, you know, 800 to 1500 bucks a month. And that was great. But my ads started just, I was saturating my market with my ads and it wasn't converting as well. So, and I wasn't coming up with any great cutting edge content. I was trying, but like it wasn't working as well. So my, I was burning through cash because I was on the move. I was in Myanmar. I was in Vietnam. I was like moving around, burning through cash, not making the money, stressing out. Like it's, you know, it's the 23rd of the month. I haven't sold any courses yet. I've burned through a bunch of, like it just started getting to the point where I was flatlining and uh, kind of circling back to what we had talked about earlier with, you know, creating a prison around ourselves within these countries that we find ourselves in. Like I got a call, another call from family. It was time to come home. Like I was needed and I had enough cash still that I didn't have to like reach out to my dad or, you know, a friend to fund me to get home for this. And I took the opportunity. I was like, okay, I was going to go home, be a part of the family for a while, regroup, you know, cash up a little bit in this warehouse job I have back in California. And I leave uh Tuesday to go back to Thailand and do it all over again, dude. Yeah. So I was going to say, what's next? Like, um, what are you doing so when in Thailand? In Thailand, I joined that last year. I joined DCBKK or uh, the Dynamite Circle. And so I'm going to DCBKK, which is their biggest event, their annual event um, hosted on the, the 8th of October. And I'll do like five days with them. Same kind of thing, networking, mastermind groups. And then the retreat I did last year, which is called the Get Shit Done Retreat. Big plug to Chris Reynolds and all his crew. Um, they're hosting again up in Chiang Mai. I don't think I'll participate this time and I might, but I did have to make some choices. Cause again, like financially I just kind of been flatlining. So mm-hmm. I don't know what my strategy is going to be like thinking about going back to Nicaragua and Mexico and just giving retreats a go again and going full time into that. And then keeping my online stuff a little bit more as a side hustle instead of keeping it full time because yeah, there's a pivot coming here pretty soon. You know, this, this market that I entered with the surf thing, I intuitively knew that it probably wasn't going to be the thing that created that passive income stream that I, I was hoping for. I think I got, I got to the market a little early. I think surfers aren't really ready for this way of learning yet. It's, it's kind of foreign. Nobody gets it. Like you're like, how do you teach surfing online? You know, like it's Mm -hmm. just, it's foreign. The price points high. Those who I have in my, you know, my tribe, my network, my circle of students, like are the ones you talked about, the people who are down to work hard because of that price point. It filters out those who aren't willing to work versus those who are. So they're awesome, and I will continue to serve them in my, my, all my capacities, but I think the future is going to be a pretty big pivot. I have another guy in um, just talking about pivots and business models. I met a, um, a guy in Chiang Mai who uh, freeze-dries like medicinal herbs and plants. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about pivoting into that that space, you know, and, and selling online kind of like medicines um, or like anti-inflammatory medicine, basically. Just freeze-dried like leaves and shit like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I so. think it's really interesting because when you get into these circles, there's always, it's almost like, like, I feel like people were talking about like Bitcoin and like cryptocurrencies in these circles. Like they were like whispers, right? Like there were whispers mm. in this community first before there were others because you're on the fringe. And so there's always these new things coming up. But that's why I'm so interested, man, to like see where you go in a year from now. And I'd love to have you back on the podcast uh, in a year and see, you know, where you're at then and what kind of big things you're doing. But Thank you so much for, uh, you know, being on the podcast and sharing. And uh, if anybody listened and, you know, wants to get some awesome, uh, you know, surf, uh, you know, like training, where can they find you? Yeah, if anyone's a surfer and wants to progress their surfing, please check me out at surfprogressiontechniques.com. And then if you like what you hear, this conversation, I also have a podcast interviewing expats, digital nomads around the world. It's called Misfits and Rejects. And uh, you can hear uh, Mitko on there. He was just on mine. So we had a great conversation. Hey, I just want to say thank you to you, my friend. I think what you're doing is awesome. I am inspired by you and what you're doing. So I appreciate you having me on your podcast. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it.